So we are doing Applied Theology Module 7, Session 10, the last one. Principles of Bible Study Presentation. So let me read to you a verse that has meant a lot to me in the ministry the Lord's entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now that's been for me a, a very important concept that we're not just teaching disciples, we're teaching disciple makers. And so we've been as intentional as we can be with this. And so now we, you've done your... You've done your Bible study. You've done your, uh, whether it's in response to the, the Psalm 23 study we've done with women and men or in response to uh, your BTI assignment or just your own study. And now you're itching to present it to someone. You're itching to, uh, to give that information. So uh, you have made your applications, your observations, your, your interpretations, you've decided how you're going to present your Bible passage, you've even maybe have a nice organized structure, you've added the, uh, the salt and pepper and spices of a conclusion and an introduction, you've added some illustrations and applications, and now it's time to serve it. And that's where we get the most nervous. So I, I want to just start a discussion for a minute, first of all, um, what is difficult about speaking in front of people? What's difficult for you? Or you could admit it for someone else. What's difficult for, for your neighbor? What's hard about it? You're afraid of making a mistake. Afraid of making a mistake. Why are we afraid of making a mistake? Because we're not prepared. Right? <laughs> well, that's different than making a mistake. That's, someone else's. That's a, that's a big mistake. <laughs> what, what else is hard about talking in front of people? You don't want to look stupid. You don't want to look stupid. Yeah. Lord, a man. You, you say that again? We want the applause of man, yes. And, and uh, it, when I started seminary, the um, director of student ministries there, he, he said, just so you know, none of you is going to replace John MacArthur. So, you know, get that straight up front. What, do you, what, what creates discomfort for an audience? You've all been in an audience. You're in one right now. Uh, what creates that air of discomfort? Because there is an atmosphere. So, yeah, Chris. When you get a speaker that is uh, not prepared or they're trying too hard. Trying too hard. Which usually means they're trying too hard at the moment because they didn't try hard enough earlier. That would be my guess. Sonia. When your joke falls flat. When your joke falls flat, yes, we've all we've all uh, we've all, all been down that road. Um, you've been in an audience where you you can feel the tension, you can feel the wish that somebody would would just help this poor person who's up there. Um, that, that maybe a trap door would open and they would fall into a, a pool of sharks to put everyone out of their misery, or uh, the old hook that comes out from stage left and and pulls them off. You can feel it, and in a positive sense, there's a, there is a there is a a positive tension, a vibrancy, an electricity in the room where something is going really well. So the goal is, and maybe you won't be ever be the one that that creates that electric atmosphere, but 
maybe not be the one that creates that atmosphere of, Lord, we're just praying for this guy. I'm not listening to him anymore because I can't bear it. But we'll just pray that he gets through this and that his wife is still speaking to him. And um, I have actually seen a young preacher doing so badly and his wife on the front row just <laughs> with her head down like this. <laughs> and you go, how do you, how do, you do that in marriage counseling? Um, so what creates, what, what is it about the bad public speaker or the teacher that creates discomfort? What, what are the things that, that happen that create discomfort? The joke falling flat, we got that one. Lack of confidence. Lack of confidence. Not being prepared. Not being prepared. We got several over here. Darletta? They don't have the right information. Don't have the right information. That's always awkward. And Julie? Their monotone voice. Yes, yes. Yeah, that tells me I'm not excited about what I'm talking about. Yeah, Logan? Lack of direction. Look how much lack of direction. Look how much information you have about boring speakers. Leon? The sound of silence. The sound of silence. Yes, to quote the song. What, what else? What, what, cre- what just is bad? What creates that tension? No belief in what they're saying. They don't believe what they're saying. Dave? The format is such that they might call on you. Yes, well, like we're doing now. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, so, so you're all familiar with this. You're all familiar with this. You, you've, if you've been, if you had a, a a high school teacher or a college professor that you know just quit caring like a decade earlier. Well, we come to the second lecture, and our, and you just go, just retire, do something you like, because not only do you hate us, you hate yourself. That's very clear. So, my goal today is to help you avoid being that person, because especially in this case, look, if you're if you're giving a presentation on why you ought to change the oil in your car. Okay, if you're interesting or not, it doesn't really matter. But we're representing God. You're representing the very words of God. And so, how do you increase your comfort level? So, let's just talk about that. Um, Any age. Here's several things to think about increasing your comfort level. First of all, trust the Lord that He has a purpose for what you're saying. That's important because that gets you now thinking more about others than about yourself. Um, when I talk to a, a young speaker who's about to do something that's difficult for him, um, I like to say, remember, you are the person God has placed here in this moment. That it was God's sovereign plan for you to be there. And that ought to inspire some confidence. It ought to inspire a, a sense of diligence, a, a sense of gravity. Trust the power of the scriptures to move in the hearts of listeners. I think this is very important. You know, I'm, you, know, you know me well enough to know I'm not afraid to read long passages while we're in the middle of a sermon. And the reason is, is because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There is a whole school of thought in preaching that you should never take longer than 10 or 15 seconds to read the Bible. That you should, and to me, that's just weird. That that's like saying I'm in a sword fight, and you really shouldn't use the blade. That makes no sense. Trust the power of the scriptures. If you don't know what to say, you know what you can say. Let me read the Bible to you, because at least you're not being heretical. And and if you're boring, that's on the listener, not on the the reader. Another way to increase your comfort level: think and pray about the needs of your audience. Pray for them. 
And it doesn't matter whether they're second graders or it's an adult small group. Uh, I, I pray for you in BTI. I have prayed for you at the women's retreat, the, the men's fellowship group, because lately our theme in all three of those venues has been studying the Bible for yourselves. And I pray for very mundane things like, Lord, help these people to find a place in their home to study the Bible, to have the finances, to gather the resources that are necessary. And what it will do for you as you're thinking about those you're teaching and praying for them, it, it puts you in their shoes and it gives you a sense of urgency that I need to deliver something to them for their souls. You're, you're all here today because you have a need to have your souls fed the Word of God. Anybody who sits long enough to listen to you for five minutes has the same need. As if it's little kids, yeah, their parents are making them be there. But it's because their parents know that the kids have a, a soul need. So if you, if you pray about the needs of your audience, like I believe with all of my heart that every one of you need to be able to sit down at a desk or at, a, at some sort of countertop with a Bible and a notebook and a, a resource or two and be able to discern what the Word of God says. I believe with all of my heart you have that need. And I believe also that you have a responsibility to share what you learn with others. That's why what we're talking about today. What, why would we have a class in public speaking? Because we're speaking the Word of God. And we don't want to make it boring. We don't want to be that person that seems to make the word less than it really is. Here's another way to increase your comfort level. And and hopefully you're, you're doing this already. Be more prepared than you think you need to be. If you're, uh, some of you in here are musicians and you know what it is to have played something through correctly once and then go perform it. That's a roll of the dice. That's a Las Vegas move, right? A a sound musician plays through something multiple times until it's just second nature. Be more prepared than you think you need to be. Does it show when people are prepared? Yes. Yes. Does it show when they're not? Yes. I'm amazed how many people think they'll fool an audience when they're sitting there shuffling papers and humming and hemming and hawing and and they don't know what they're doing and you know it and and at that point the most popular thing in the room is the clock right there. Like, you know, oh look, he's looking down. Oh, and you look really quickly. (laughs) Be more prepared than you think you need to be. Preparation is one of the biggest keys to confidence. Read through your notes with multiple times. Read through it with with prayer. Read through it with a pen. Um, I've been preaching for, we're pushing 30 years now. I never preach a sermon that I haven't looked at the notes, uh, what I'm going to preach within hours beforehand. For what I'm preaching uh, in an hour, I was looking at them early this morning. Because I I don't want to look at my notes and go, I have no idea what I meant here. I have no idea what this word is. I can't even spell this word. Spell check put this in here. It doesn't mean anything to me. Read through your notes multiple times. If you're teaching children, don't think that that means winging it with with a little bit of preparation. They're worse than adults. If they'll know you're winging it and they'll check out, right? Now, they might not be allowed to leave, but nobody's going to keep them from staring at that ceiling tile like it's the most interesting thing in the world. When they know you're not prepared, they'll check out and they're, they're done because they don't have any social obligation to make you feel good. They don't care. They need an organized presentation of a lesson. 
I haven't done this in a long time, but a number of years ago, I was preaching uh, a series from Colossians 3, and we got to the verse on children, obey your parents. And so uh, for that particular message, we left all the children in church for the first third of my message, and I wanted them to hear this. 15 minutes. I guarantee you I took at least 7 hours to prepare that 15 minutes because keeping the attention of a 7 year old is much harder than keeping the attention of a 70 year old. Way harder. So preparation, preparation. Practice your lesson. Do it aloud if possible. Then you, you have confidence in, the, confidence in the product that you've prepared. Uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, for years and years, I don't do it so much anymore, but for years and years, I would sit at our dining room table and I would speak aloud what I wanted to preach the next day and our kids just got used to it. They'd wander into the kitchen to get a glass of water and there's dad talking to himself in the kitchen again. Because I, I want to hear what I want it to sound like. I, I, want to, I want to be as nuanced as I can. I want to be as precise as I can. I want to emphasize a word exactly the way I want it to. And I, I want to be um, very specific. So practice your lesson. And I would say that's no less important with, if you're doing with third graders than with adults. Practice your lesson. Practice enough to work on eliminating your, uh, your flow of thought being distracted. That you're, you're confident in what you're going to say. And then be on a mission to bless your audience. Be determined. And I think that is, to me, that's the whole key. The most exciting thing to me every Sunday is the fact that I genuinely care about you and I genuinely care that you grow in the Lord. I'm obsessed with what Paul said that I am in childbirth with for you until you, Christ is formed in you. And I, I'm just just passionate about that because I've seen the impact of lives that are completely immersed in the word of God and I've seen what lives look like that just don't get it just don't take in the word aren't maturing aren't growing and just the the pain and the misery that they go through and the needless suffering at times so if you'll be on that mission to bless your audience and you might say well I'm teaching third graders about Zacchaeus okay well, what, is, what do you have in Zacchaeus? What you have in Zacchaeus is one of the Bible's greatest examples of outward repentance based on an inward attitude of repentance. And nobody had to, had to force feed him. Nobody had to, had to uh, spoon feed to him what Zacchaeus needed to do to repent. And if you've studied, you would find little details. Like that Zacchaeus stood up to make his declaration to Jesus about how he was going to repent. That this was an official moment. This wasn't just sitting around in couches, uh, just kind of hanging out. Hey, you know, I think I'll do this. This was Zacchaeus standing up and buttoning his coat and saying, I have something to say. I am going to repent of my sin and here's how I'm going to do it. If you will study to that that level of detail, be on a mission to bless your audience, whether it's little kids or not, and use those details to insert truth into their hearts, your fear of public speaking will disappear. It'll go away. Because now you're not the focus, they are. That's what we've been going after. Now let's get a little more specific here. Let's talk about teaching in a small group, in a Bible study. 
I would urge all of you to not be afraid to begin stepping out with your own personal study um, as long as your hermeneutics are good, as long as your Bible study methods are good. I am saddened for churches that have one person that teaches an original Bible lesson and everything else. Uh, it's all curriculum that we order online, and that's fine. Our kids use curriculum. They're, they happen to be some fantastic things. There happen to be some fantastic things out there. But when you don't have a single person in the church that can open the Word of God and explain what three verses means, that's, a, that's an unhealthy church. That's a, that's a very unhealthy church. So don't be afraid to step out on your own personal Bible study. Going through a, a single Bible book, for example, doesn't really cost that much. You just get a few uh, 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 Bible study helps. You get immersed in the purpose and the themes of the book. It's so important and so good, so vital for us as Christians to go through a book at a time. So don't be afraid to do that. Now, if you're thinking, I'm not sure I have the time, if I'm teaching something, let's say, every two weeks, and this is, I can't put in all these steps we've been doing for 10 lessons in BTI, I, I don't have time for that. I have, a, I have a job, I have a family, how am I going to do this? Well, there's a couple of tricks of the trade, and I'm going to give them to you right now. Um, the first one is, plan ahead. That if you're going to start teaching a, if you're going to commit to teach a Bible study in September, May is the time to begin. That's the time to begin your study, not the day before. Well, what are we going to do here? Oh, look, the book of Hebrews is the hardest book in the New Testament, and I just picked that out of the air. What am I going to do now? So start ahead. Get ahead as much as you can. Uh, You remember when you were a kid, those little uh, connect the dots things that you did? My mom used to give me books of those because it kept me from talking too much. Well, you can do this with your lessons too. You can set them up and maybe you're not doing your full study, but you can, you can create the dots. You can make notes to yourself that, oh, in this particular section, it would be good to mention this. As you read through it over and over again, all the preparation you can so that when you come to the actual preparation time, you're, you've already given yourself a head start. I do this with everything I ever preach. I don't ever come to a, a text, say, on a Tuesday with no idea whatsoever I'm going to do. I always have, uh, in a series in particular, I always have been working ahead. I make all kinds of notes to myself. Um, you've seen movies or you've read uh, maybe sci-fi thrillers where somebody loses their memory but they left clues for themselves that's how I treat myself I treat myself like an amnesiac coming to these notes what did I mean Steve what you meant was like I literally write notes to myself what you meant was that the most important key here is not the first verse it's the fourth one and here's why 17 reasons and I put it there and I come to it I love myself I love that wow thank you for remembering Steve that you are an amnesiac and so you can do that as well and yes if you're teaching second graders I, I, I think that uh, there should be just as much effort put into teaching children as teaching adults maybe a little bit more because again they'll check out on you so don't be afraid to step out on your own with a small group again remember that discussion is useful but it's secondary to teaching content discussion is useful but it's secondary to teaching content 
And we've all been in Bible studies where somebody reads a verse and the the so-called study is, well, let's talk about this. That's not a study. That's a a random shot in the dark with everybody blindfolded and nobody knows how to operate the weapon. That's not a study. My personal preference, whenever I'm teaching in a small group, and it's been a bit of time since I've had the privilege of doing that, we have others doing that, but my, my preference is to teach first. And you just say, your job right now is to listen, write down all the questions you want, and then we're going to have a discussion. What happens when you don't do that can be that you get through two-thirds of your lesson, and if you had a killer conclusion to it, then it kind of, it's gone, right? It, you don't want to start your next Bible study going, let me conclude what I started with last time. Nah, that doesn't really work too well. It ensures that all the content you prepared gets taught and it avoids unnecessary rabbit trails. You have been in Bible studies and yay, maybe you've been this person. Um, to ask that question that's not even in the same universe as the topic at hand, right? And the Bible study leader, if he's patient and kind, will try to redirect that. If he's not, he'll say, what does that have to do with anything? Let's get back to this. But those rabbit trails, everyone feels kind of uh, obligated to go down them. You know, I, I know we're talking about marriage right now, but could somebody please explain the Trinity to me? Okay, that's wonderful. Thanks. We just, we're going to destroy 45 minutes on a topic that wasn't what we're talking about. And it's a good topic, and sometimes it's a, it's a worthy question. And oh, I hate to tell you that was the dumbest thing you could say, so I can't say that. I can think it and ask for forgiveness later. And before you know it, you've taught half your lesson. So... My preference is if you're, if you're leading a lesson, lead the lesson, encourage everybody to write down questions, leave time for that, but do that at the end. I think that's, that's useful. And by the way, uh, if you encourage questions to happen as they go, that's totally fine. If you're teaching a quality lesson, I've found that people are going to ask questions I was going to answer anyway. So it will decrease the number of questions and increase good discussion. Another thing to think about, be the one to bring new information to their hearts and minds, or at least to creatively remind them of great truths that never go old. Don't just grow old. Don't just be the facilitator. Be a teacher. Be a teacher. Be the one who says, I'm going to learn something new, and the odds are, if you have learned something new, then everyone listening to you will as well. that's, That's an important key. Here's an idea. Team teaching a small group. I think this is a great idea because you can take extra time between every meeting to prepare your teaching. If you have a small group that meets every other week and you're one of two teachers, that means you get a month to prepare every lesson and you can really dig into it and make it well, uh, make it uh, work well. Now, there is a downside to team teaching a small group. The downside is, is that uh, oftentimes groups will have a favorite teacher. And that's just reality. So uh, you need to get together and keep your quality the same. Keep it about the same. That's important. You want to be a good team that way. So uh, I'm going to take a minute and break my own rule right now and let you ask questions about teaching a small group. Anything you, I love small group dynamics. It's, it's an important part of our church. So anything you want to ask or, or comment about teaching in a small group? Darletta, and yes. Should the class size be limited so that you have more discussion or to be able to elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, um, 
we, uh, there is a school of thought that says since Jesus had 12 disciples, that's the size of a small group, and that's actually a really good size. Uh, we have a general policy that if a group grows and grows, that we will split the group eventually um, for that very reason, because small groups are where we live our lives together also. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the perfect number is. I've taught a small group with 50, and that didn't feel very small groupish. I also taught a small group once that for like two weeks in a row, one person showed up, and he was gracious and said, well, I still want you to teach me. Makes eye contact really awkward because you're just staring right at each other. You know, he, he can't take a break for a second. So, yeah, that, I think that makes a difference. And then there was another question over here. Oh, yeah. If, um, in a small group, if you have one person that tends to ask a lot of questions, is that something you want to discourage so that the others have a chance to Yeah, that's a Matthew 18. Yeah, like even if they're really good questions? That's a Matthew 18 time to pull them aside and say, can you give others a chance? Okay. And that, that's really good. Uh, I, have a, I have a simple rule. Uh, I, I will do that privately about twice. And if it continues, then publicly I'll say, I'm not going to take your question right now. You and I have already talked about this. And, and, and move on. And I know that's a, that's a tough thing. And if somebody's genuinely like, look, I don't know anything. I got saved 11 minutes ago. I know nothing. Great. You need a mentor that you can ask a thousand questions of and work through them at Starbucks every Saturday morning for five years. Um, that's, that's the time for that. What other questions about teaching a small group? Is anybody in here right now teaching a small group at the moment? Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, we got some old pros in here. That's that, that's awesome. Uh, old pros. Yes. All right. Now, how many of you here are teaching children right now at any level? All right. We need more of you then. Um, parenting. Uh, uh, so, we have in our family... If you have small kids, we have in our family, we have done uh, dad's Bible lessons. We've done mom's Bible lessons. We've done this for years. We've done it kind of in spurts. And I, I, let me tell you a little story. The way we shepherded our kids that we were moving from Texas to California back in 2009. Um, this is, we, we lived in a nice house. We had 10 acres of land. We were settled in. This is where we were going to raise our kids. And the Lord chose to move us. And so I did a series of lessons, Bible lessons, on the life of Abraham. And we, we went through the whole life of Abraham and all the lessons of how he used to be a homeowner, but now he was a migrant. Um, he used to live in the place he wanted to live in, and now he wandered around getting to look at the place he wanted to live in. We had all these lessons. And one evening, our kids came into the living room, and we had a little, we had a little bulletin board we used for, for our Bible lessons. And um, we had a map of the United States up there. And uh, the kids come in, and they're all kind of, uh-oh, what's going on? And we went through all the lessons of Abraham and how we're going to be just like him. And we explained that, they, that we're going to move to California. That's where the Lord has moved us. And they were fine. They were like... We have a spiritual foundation for this. But I tell you what, I put more into those lessons than I have into any sermon ever because I cared about my children. I wanted them to be confident in God. So, yeah, if you're a parent, you don't just, you know, don't just say, well, I'm sticking my kids in Sunday school. That'll do it. Teach Bible lessons to them. What a great thing to do. So when you're teaching children, just some little tips here. First of all, they need attention getters. They need something that will get their attention. Uh, probably the first thing that will get their attention is the knowledge that you actually love them and care about them. 
if you're parachuting into a class as a substitute and they don't know you, you all know that that's a doomed proposition from the start, right? Because they don't know you. And they have no reason to obey you and to, to listen. So your love for them, your uh, ability to get them to, to uh, listen to you is very important. You need to be concise. I, I don't teach children much anymore because I don't want to be concise. I'm in, a, I'm in a stage in my ministry, I don't want to be concise. I want to be detailed. Any passage I preach may be the last time ever. I want to wring the life out of it. But with kids, you need to be concise. They also need you to be direct. You don't ask them indirect questions. Have you ever had doubts? Like, what's a doubt and why is there a B in that word? You know, if you put it on, you know... <clears throat> They need you to be concise and or direct and just say, you know, have you ever not wanted to obey your mom? Okay, that's direct. And they'll all raise their hand if they're honest. They need you to be repetitive. Frankly, adults need to be, you to be repetitive. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. They need you to repeat things. They need to feel involved. Uh, with kids especially, involving them physically or with, with props of some sort. Not to replace good content, but to just help them feel like they're, they're part of all of this. Um, you, you know, teach, teach kids about uh, Abraham, and we, we did this with our kids. We had, we had our kids stand up and stand in different parts of the living room to represent Ur of the Chaldees, and then, and then Canaan, and then wandering around Canaan. <clears throat> and we demonstrated that Ur the Chaldees was really, really far away from Canaan, and where he wandered close to Canaan was really, really close. Like he could look on the land that belongs to him that he wasn't allowed to have yet. So, any sort of way to involve them. Um, they need word pictures that make sense. Not vague metaphors that involve abstract thinking. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes in teaching children. Smaller ones don't Developmentally, make the connection between metaphors and the lesson. That you know, God is like an apple. What? That makes no sense to adults, but I, that is a, a classic thing that children's teachers do, trying to use abstract thinking. Children don't think in abstract terms, especially the little bitty ones. They don't make those connections. You just need to tell them, God is kind. God is good. God is gracious and define those three words and so forth. They need stories. Uh, that's why, you know, for, for centuries, the classic uh, Sunday school is riveted around the story. Now, that has degraded into that the story is the whole point and we do a little moral lesson uh, about it and that's, that's wrong. They need stories and then you connect it to the greater redemptive picture. You connect it to Christ. You connect it to um, the, the story of salvation. So they need those stories. Those are just some things with kids. And if you have kids already, then these are, these are very uh, elemental subjects for you. But I'm, I'm amazed. I, I don't think age, by the way, has anything to do with how good you are with kids. I think some people will automatically think that, um, well, you need to be younger because the little kids will relate to you. A seven-year-old thinks a 20-year-old is ancient. So there's not really relating to them. You just look less ancient than people who are really, really ancient. And then they look at, at somebody my age and they say, boy, you have you know, one, one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel and you're just, you're just about done. What they relate to is somebody who loves them and somebody who can, who can get and keep their attention. And you can do that if you're 85. Um, 
my my mother-in-law is 83 years old and she still teaches a group of kids and these are not kids who are forced to come to church these are unchurched kids in a, in a Bible club that she teaches in the neighborhood and they come every week they want to hear her and she feeds these kids into local churches that's been her ministry for years and you you've met her she was here last week she's like four foot two and she doesn't move very fast but those kids love her so age doesn't have anything to do with it. It has to do with if you work hard enough to, uh, to keep their attention. And she does it in Spanish, which is, which is pretty interesting. She has to write it all out and make sure she's saying the right thing and so forth. So uh, she lives in an area where that's, that's more useful. Let me give you some rookie mistakes. Unhelpful digression. I didn't say digression. Digressions can be good. Just make them helpful unhelpful digression you can, you can use an interesting change of pace that's helpful but if you're just digressing because something came into your brain and you just follow it wherever it goes that says to me that you don't trust your own lesson you don't trust your own preparation you, you think well oh, I gotta beef this up somehow because it's not that good another rookie mistake being enthralled with the sound of your own voice You'll notice that we don't have a lot of people that come up to the platform during church to make announcements. That is my fault. And I'll tell you why. Because I have noticed that many people, a microphone turns them into amateur uh, stand-up comedians. And it also makes the one-minute announcement that they were going to make take 11 minutes. And that's coming off my preaching time. So, what is it about speaking in front of people that, that is so uh, dangerous? Well, what's dangerous is that we begin thinking about ourselves. And liking, hey, these people are actually listening to me. I'm, I, I'm loving this. This is amazing. Um, when Julia was itty bitty and we were overseas, we would, um, you guys remember Skype back before Zoom? We would Skype with her and she couldn't have a conversation. She's, she's four years old and all she can do is laugh at the fact that her picture is in the corner and that she can see herself talking. That's all she can focus on and it was hilarious having a conversation with her. But if you're enthralled with the sound of your own voice, you're, you're just going to fail. And so you need to not be. Uh, laughing to fill uncomfortable space. If somebody does that frequently, I just start counting. Okay, let's see. Where's this verse? <laughs> If we're faithless, <laughs> he remains faithful. You're uncomfortable right now just with me doing that, right? <laughs> and then you're going seven, eight. So that's a rookie mistake. Being unprepared with inadequate notes. Oh, I can, I can do this, said the person as they right before they folded and walked out the door. Being unprepared with inadequate notes. Overestimating your ability to wing it. Well, I, these are just kids. They'll be fine. And you have 45 minutes to teach them. Six minutes in, you run out of material. And you find yourself playing Simon Says in Sunday school, going, what, how did this degrade to this? Not aggressively capturing the attention of your audience. You have to do that. That's, you have to be able to hold a room. You have to be able to, to be the center of attention, not in a sinful sense, but in the sense of what we're doing right now is important. I want you to pay attention to me. With adults, you have to earn that. With kids, you can force the issue and you can say, I'm the adult and you need to pay attention to me. And you can do that negatively or positively or a combination of both. Another rookie mistake. 
expressing certainty when you have none and expressing doubt when you should have certainty. I, I think it's important to be certain about the Word of God. I also think it's important, especially if you're teaching adults, to honestly express this particular issue has three major camps and I'd like to walk through them with you and tell you why I'm in camp number one, but here's the level of certainty I have. That's, that's important. That nuance is there. But neither should you just say, well, camps number two and three are just filled with idiots. I'm right because I said it. That's not accurate. That's not expressing certainty. That's expressing certainty when you have none. So those are common rookie mistakes. Just a few more things. A few little things to take your, net, your lesson up one notch. Have one major idea you're trying to get across. If you will repeat that idea to everyone up front, especially with children, that tells them what they're listening for. And that just helps their minds be in one place. Be structured but creative. If you're in the position to teach every week, don't be predictable if at all possible. If you're with little bitty kids, they need more predictability than not. If you're with adults, they need creativity. That's the way we're built. Go where your audience hasn't gone. If everything you're teaching feels obvious to you, it's probably obvious to everyone who's listening as well. Now, the, the, the exception to that would be children, of course. But if you're in an adult or a teenage Bible study and... Everything you're teaching is something you learned 10 years ago and you just grabbed it out of your brain. They probably already know that. And by the way, you will always be way more excited about something you just learned yesterday than something you learned 10 years ago. There's an excitement and a joy and it will come out in your presentation. Another way to take the lesson up a notch. Use all the senses. Describe how something looks. Describe what it sounds like. What it feels like. Let's take an example. And I am pulling this one just out of my head. Two men walking on the road to Emmaus with Jesus. On their way to Emmaus. What would it sound like? Well, there are two sounds I can think of. You're walking on a a dusty, gravelly road. Uh, It probably had a lot of salt on it because when when salt went bad, they threw it on pathways because it kept plants from growing. growing. So what are you hearing? You're hearing this crunch, 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 crunch. What else are you hearing? You're hearing two disciples ask a somewhat dumb question, and you're hearing Jesus preach the greatest sermon on messianic prophecy ever preached and it's not recorded in scripture that is that is just a crying shame from a human standpoint you're looking for more you're hearing the sound and it took two and a half hours for him to do that so you're hearing the sounds what what would you smell you smell the you smell dust you smell the various plants that are, that are around. You would smell flowers. There's flowers everywhere in Israel, ancient Israel in particular. Could you taste anything? You might taste the dust a little bit. If they uh, were they were headed to a meal, you could taste what you were hoping to receive and what happened at that meal. Jesus made himself known to them and then he disappeared. So what have we done so far? We have done... Uh, Smell and sound, taste, touch. They were this close to Jesus. There's no record of them touching him. They were this close to the Lord of the universe. 
And I would imagine if they had known who he was, they would have been all over him. What else have we got? What's the last sense? Sight. What did you see? I don't know about you, but if I was walking with a man giving the greatest sermon in the history of the Old Testament, and they knew that, they just didn't know it was Jesus. As they're approaching their house, that time must have gone so fast. You ever been in a conversation with someone that just zips by? And so as they saw Emmaus coming up over the hillside, they may have slowed down. Maybe they said, let's take the long way around. We want to keep hearing this. That makes a text come alive. Do this with children. You can literally ask those five questions. If you have a dry erase board, you can put the five senses up there and have them guess. What are you going to smell on a road that's out in the country? And then there's always one kid, cow patties. You know, okay, ah, ha, ha. Yeah, maybe so. They lived in an agricultural society. That wasn't a big deal. So use all the senses. That That will make a lesson come alive. And then save the gold for last. I tell young preachers this all the time. If you're studying a text and there's, a, there's something in there that you have just learned that's the key to the whole thing, don't get excited and give that up front. Come back to it. If you've heard me preach five or six verses in a row and I skip one of them, you know what's happening, right? You know we're coming back to it because that's the key. We save the gold for last. Uh, yesterday with the, the precious ladies here at our Women of Grace luncheon, I taught through Galatians five sixteen through 26 on what it means to walk in the Spirit. And we pointed out that it's probably a little more accurate to say walking by the Spirit. And we went through the whole thing and we, we got rid of the arguments that this is somehow some sort of mystical uh, walking around and hearing a voice in your head or having an impression or suddenly your, your mouth is taken over by the Spirit of God. What we found, and we saved this to the end, was that the whole entire reason for Paul talking to them about why they should walk in the Spirit It all had to do with how they were getting along in the church because the verse right before that is him condemning them for biting and devouring one another because some were legalists and some were not. Walking in the Spirit has to do with your relationships in the church. Now, if I said that up front, great, that's helpful. To me, it's more fun to say it at the end. It's more fun to say, I'm going to hand you the key. We've described the door. We've described what's behind it. We've described the doorknob and the lock. Now, here's the key. I don't know that you can do that with every lesson. I've I've never been successful doing that. But if you can do that often enough, um, kids or adults or teens, they'll keep listening to you because they know something good is coming. So, I think that's important. Well, those are just some thoughts on taking your lesson up a notch. So, any last questions on this? And I have one last thing to say on a Bible study presentation. It's not a question, but with little kids, sometimes you want to get on your knees, look around the room and see what they see. That's a great idea. Yeah, getting down where they are. Yeah. When you set up the room, maybe you want to set up a little different. Yep, getting on your knees is easy. It's the getting up part that's getting (laughs) getting a little bit harder. Yeah, I saw a hand in the back somewhere. Yeah, Dave. I was going to say, uh, if you're planning on hosting one, make sure your environment is suitable for the number of people. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it it does, and 
just to don't host a small group where the guest bathroom has thin walls and it's right next to where you are. Nothing destroys a good study like somebody who's having somewhat of an emergency and it's like, all right, we're all humans, we understand that, but uh, we always said the master bathroom is open for business and it's all the way in the back and you're, you're welcome to go use that. But yeah, setting up an environment that's conducive to learning, that's, that's good. Other questions? Is anybody, you don't have to answer this, but I'm, it's a rhetorical question, is anybody more confident to present what they learn to others? That's my hope and my prayer. Yes, Rebecca said yes. <laughs> so, so take those tips. They're, they're hard won uh, from, from my experience and from things that I've read. So I have one last thing to say. We have just completed, um, in my time at Grace Bible Church, our fourth time through Bible Training Institute, um, all the way through this. Um, next time around, uh, I, I, I'm shifting gears just a little bit. We have our highly qualified J Street um, back there, and he's going to start Module 1 in the fall. And he is going to take this. Two things are going to happen. He's going to take all of my notes, and he's going um, to spice them up a little bit, and we're going to try to make this even higher level. Um, and on top of that, our hope and dream is to actually create a, a written study um, kind of geared to high school kids. Uh, if you've homeschooled kids and tried to find Bible, Bible curriculum for them, it's just insanely impossible. It's really hard. It's like you get good stuff up through sixth grade and then in eighth grade it just turns all, all silly. So um, anyway, this has been a delight for me where I'm going to change. We're, we're changing directions a little bit. We're trying to make BTI a little bit more focused on those who really want to do the assignments and all that. doesn't mean you're not welcome. We're not going to throw you out the door if you're just here auditing and listening. That's, that's totally fine. Um, but Lord willing, while Jay is doing BTI, I'm going to start teaching a separate class and we're going to go through all of the Psalms together. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And... Um, I have, I have sensed for me, I would like to preach three times on a Sunday, not twice. And so that's where I'm going to shift uh, my direction. Uh, you, if you're still in the middle of BTI, you're going to, don't say it out loud, but you're going to go, man, this is a step up getting Jay here. So that's, that'll be awesome. So everybody will win in this. The Lord has graciously, I read 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he, has, he has brought men, both that we've trained here and that others have trained. And we are rich. We have a, we have a deep bench here to use a sports illustration so I'm thankful for that however uh, you're not rid of me yet this summer we're going to do our Q&A Jay will do some of them I don't remember if I told you that or not (laughs) Uh, he'll do some of them I'll do some of them uh, and we're going to have a good time I love doing those because it really gets to the heart of uh, of what you're thinking and what you're feeling so let me pray for us and then we'll be done for this morning thank you Father for this time that we've had this morning and I pray for every person here particularly who's in a situation right now to present the truths of scripture to others I pray that perhaps one or two things we spoke of this morning would elevate their ability I pray for those who are uh, potentially or praying about being able to speak into the lives of others even if it's just one person they're teaching in a discipleship relationship I pray Lord that our time here this morning would be useful to them as well we ask you to prepare our hearts as we come humbly before you to bow our hearts, our minds, our wills to our great and mighty God. We pray, Lord, for uh, this day that you would be blessed by our worship. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.